Father, give us ears to hear, hearts that are open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please do uh, be seated. You know, I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how much it thrilled me this morning to see uh, the mass exodus of children, not because they're leaving us, but actually because they're with us. Um, I think it's fair to say that we've missed being an all-age community, haven't we, uh, over this last season. Uh, just watching the twins as well, just dancing o- on the front, uh, a couple of twins learning what it means to worship God together um, for the first time in our church community with a gathered church community. It's absolutely thrilling. Uh, anyway, before I get all emotional, let's, uh, let's move on because that's just embarrassing. Um, welcome to you. I, I'm so thrilled uh, that you're with us uh, here this morning as well. Uh, my name's Chris Brockway. I have the joy of uh, leading the church with my colleague Kay, who's on holiday till tomorrow. So give her a ring, nine o'clock tomorrow. She'd love to hear from you. Uh, if everyone could ring at the same time, that would be uh, brilliant. Uh, really pray she's had a, a great and restful uh, time. Well, the church calendar is a bit of a funny thing, isn't it? Uh, it seems to me always that we get going with church life twice, once in January, and then it all happens again in September. And it's a strange feeling this time of the year. There's real excitement for us, but also there's a sense of it all feels a bit overwhelming as things get going again. We've enjoyed the relative lull uh, of the summer holiday period, and then suddenly we have this fresh start, start, a, a refocus on our mission and our ministry as a church. Well, that's how my world feels today. I wonder how yours is feeling. September every year is significant, but this year feels particularly poignant, doesn't it? After 18 months of journeying through a pandemic, and God willing, we pray, coming out the other side of a pandemic, it feels particularly poignant. Well, those of you who are on Church Suite, our communication database, will have received an email from me this week encouraging you to think about September of having a reboot or a restart this September an opportunity to begin afresh or in a new way your journey of faith. I wonder if there's an an aspect of your walk with Jesus that would benefit from that kind of a restart. Is now the time to consider doing the fruitless bits of your journey of faith, and hey, we all have them, doing those bits differently so that they will start to bear fruit. I wonder if today's the day to commit to spiritual disciplines afresh or in a new way of Bible study or of prayer, accountability, service, giving. I wonder what that is for you. And of course, my specific encouragement in that email was to encourage you, if your health permits, to consider rejoining us for in-person worship. And it's such a thrill that that's happened afresh uh, this morning. I particularly wanted to encourage people who have lost social confidence. We realize it's been difficult particularly want to encourage people who maybe had gotten out of the habit of gathering physically to other people to do so. Well, our staff team and our leadership team have been on quite a journey uh, in the last 18 months, and we've been on the same journey that I'm challenging us to have as individuals. What does church look like as we come out of a pandemic? What are the new opportunities? What are the things God is calling us to that are different from how they were before? What is it that was so good from the past, we definitely don't want to lose it, but what is there too that maybe God is calling us to leave behind or perhaps to change? These are exciting days, and my prayer for us as a leadership team, a staff team, is that we'll have great wisdom and great discernment. But we want to hear from you as well. If there's anything that you sense God is prompting you with, come and tell us, particularly if it's about a new mission or ministry opportunity. 
Well, over the next four weeks, we're going to take a journey. We're going to start with a microscope and we're going to end up with a telescope. We're going to begin a journey in a new teaching series, which is called Hearts for Harvest. And this morning, we begin close up and personal. It begins with us. And by the time we get to the 26th of September, in four weeks' time, we're going to gradually zoom out to take a worldwide perspective, specifically on that date, thinking about this amazing new opportunity that's been given to Esther Bolton to go and start a new ministry over in Uganda. Really excited to hear from her at the end of the month. Hearts for Harvest. Well, of course, harvest is all about growth, isn't it? Without growth, there is no harvest. Ask any farmer if that's true, and they'll tell you that it is. No farmer spends months preparing their land and preparing the soil, sowing the seed back in the spring without having some kind of expectation that there will be a harvest when you get to this time of the year. I mean, what what, um, farmer in their right mind would bother with the relentless task of day in, day out, nurturing their crop without an expectation of a harvest? Well, maybe you struggle to identify with a farmer living where we do, but have a think about your own gardens. I wonder what is it you might be growing there. Some of us probably are growing some flowers. Some of us are trying to grow our grass, although the children seem to want to undermine that process. Maybe you've been working on your herbaceous border. I don't know what one of those is, but good good luck to you if you've been working on that. You've been tending to your hardy perennials. Maybe you've been growing some vegetables or, well, perhaps some weeds. You see, farming and gardening require insane amounts of patience, don't they? But here's the thing I've learned. Patience in and of itself isn't enough because it takes an investment as well. The trouble is, if you're anything like me in our garden, you want an instant abundant harvest without any kind of investment. You probably want fully grown vegetables ready to eat without going to the effort of tending them or nurturing them or even waiting for them. Do you know, there's one reason why we have tomatoes growing in our garden this year, and it's called Meg. I contributed absolutely nothing, but I can tell you I'm enjoying the fruit of her labors. Sometimes we take a similar approach when it comes to our faith journey or our spiritual maturity. We live in a world, don't we, which values instant results. Sometimes we expect Jesus to do the miraculous in our lives without any work or any effort on our behalf. It's been referred to as Christianity or fast food Jesus, or we might refer to ourselves as being Big Mac believers. Sorry for those of you that are vegetarians, but maybe you can identify with what I mean here. I wonder if as you think back over your own journey of faith, whether there's been a season in your life where you've wanted long-term growth with Jesus without investing anything in the short term to enable that to happen. Sometimes, perhaps oftentimes, we want our faith journey to be quick and fast, and we want it to be effortless. But actually, when you think about it, that's not how growth works in any sphere of life. And actually, it's not how growth works in the faith journey either. As you flick through the pages of the Bible, you'll find agricultural and gardening metaphors are used all over the place to talk about growth, and sometimes too about anti-growth, if there is such a phrase, in the life of an individual believer. In fact, the Bible even uses these metaphors to talk about the growth, the spiritual growth of an entire community or of a corporate body. You can probably think of biblical examples without too much effort. 
Now, during the last 18 months of lockdown, through our online prayer gatherings, through our staff meetings, through our leadership team meetings, which have continued to happen, we've been attentively listening to what God might be saying to us as we negotiated our way through and out the other side of a pandemic. And significantly, we felt led to two particular scriptures. And guess what? They're all about preparation and they're all about growth. The texts are from Leviticus chapter 26 and Isaiah 43. Let me read them to you. Leviticus, first of all, uh, chapter 26, verses 3 to 5. It's one of those if-then passages which is in the Bible. There's loads of them. It says this, If you follow my decrees and you're careful to obey my commands, then I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and your grape harvest will continue until planting, and you'll eat up all the food you want, and you'll live in safety in your land. Isaiah chapter 43, this is verses 18 to 19. It's a bit of a challenge for us. It's a challenge not to just to go back to the old ways of doing and, and being in our faith journey. Words will know well. Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing, says God. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Can you not see it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, and I'm making live streams into the wasteland. Yeah, you see what I did there? No one in the first service got that. <laughs> I'm doing a new thing. I'm making a way into the wilderness, the hard places, and I'm making streams into the wasteland. I'm bringing life into the wasteland. And this morning, I would simply want us to have a quick look at each of these texts whilst taking a bit of time to remind us of the three great concerns of our faith. And as I do that, I want to make three invitations along the way as well for you to make sure that your heart is ready for the season of growth which we sense is ahead of us. The writer of those um, words we heard from Leviticus makes it very clear, doesn't he, that if there's going to be growth in our lives, then the health of our relationship with God is key to that growth. What a ridiculous thing to say. I can't believe I'm even saying it. It's absolutely obvious, and yet it's amazing, isn't it, how many of us try and do the journey of faith using our own strength and our own resources. The writer of Leviticus in those opening verses, verses 3 to 4, makes two things very, very clear. The first thing he says is our growth depends upon God's investment into our lives. That's absolutely right. But two, he makes a second point, is that our growth is also dependent upon our obedience. It's so easy, isn't it, to pursue one without the other, and the reality is, is the results are absolutely fruitless. As I was thinking about this, I had the image of a hinge. I've been working on some cupboards this week, as you can probably tell from this metaphor. The image of a hinge, and a hinge which hinges upon God's investment on the one side and our obedience on the other. Somewhere in the middle, the hinge is growth. Leviticus 26 makes it very clear, too, that there's a reward for our obedience. We benefit from being obedient in this loving relationship with God. It says, if you are obedient, then I will send rain. If you this, then I will that. Now, farmers don't have a problem with this equation. They know it to be true. I don't know how many of you really um, unholy people have been watching Jeremy Clarkson like I have been and been amused by him trying to make his farm work. But what he's discovered in a very real way is he doesn't just idly sit around throughout the spring and the summer hoping that some divine presence is going to make some crops pop out of thin air that he can later harvest. That's my gardening strategy and it doesn't work. 
But instead, what Jeremy Clarkson discovered is he needed to work hard towards the harvest. But he discovered, too, that after he'd done all of the hard work and all of the nurturing, there was a, a God element. Now, he didn't refer to it as that, of course. But in order for the, all that hard work to bear fruit, then the plant needs to take root, it needs to grow, and then by some miracle, there's some fruit at the end of that process. That's God's job. They work and they wait, farmers. They play their part and God plays his. And that's the approach I sense we're being challenged with at the moment when it comes to the harvest that God wants to have in our hearts and of our hearts. Our growth hinges upon God's investment and our obedience. The two things work together, our obedience and God's investment. And you know, God has given to us every single resource that we need to grow in our walk of faith. Everything. There's nothing he's left out. He's given us Jesus, first of all, which gives us access into his presence. He's given us prayer. He's given us scripture. He's given us the ministry of his spirit. He's even, bless him, given us each other. Of course, the question is, is are we utilizing the resources that God has given, or are we trying to make it in our own strength? And here's my first invitation this morning to you. And I wonder if you'll make this part of your September reboot, your restart. You see, this is the most important thing, the most important invitation that we can accept. The invitation to relationship, or we might say if we've walked with Jesus for a long time, an ever-deepening relationship with him. As I've said, it's the obvious place to start, and yet it's the place where we must start, and we mustn't start anywhere else. I wonder if you remember that Jesus once was asked by a religious person which the greatest commandment in the law was. And without hesitation, Jesus says back to him, it's the great commandment. Now, he doesn't call it the great commandment. That's what we've called it. And the words are captured in Matthew chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, Jesus says to this man. While Jesus went on to bolt on the importance of loving your neighbor as part of, or was it in addition to that same command, or was it a different command? But essentially what Jesus is saying here is all the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. If you want a picture, imagine a couple of coat pegs. What Jesus is saying, these two commands are pegs. And on those two pegs, the whole of the law and the prophet hangs on them. Without the pegs, nothing hangs, it just falls to the floor. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love God. And that's what I want to call us to as a church community this September. It's a call together to passionately love God like we've never loved God before. That's the place we must begin. But there's a personal invitation here as well. And it's an invitation for you to be a passionate lover of God as well. I know from my own life there are two things that I have the most trouble with in life. And it's this. One, loving God the way that I should. And then secondly, loving others because I tend to be inclined towards selfishness. So perhaps it's no surprise, is it here then, that Jesus calls us first and foremost to this first great command. In fact, if we get the, the, the great commandment perfectly right, which of course we can't, then there's a very high chance that everything else that's important in our faith journey will follow behind. In fact, if we were to live out fully and perfectly the great commandment, which we can't, this would have been a one-point sermon, but because of your sin, it's a three-point sermon. You see, if we get the great commandment right, then everything else in our faith journey follows behind. 
And if we're going to be growing spiritually in this season as we move forward together as a church, then it all begins with our relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's every single fiber of your being, leaving absolutely nothing out. This is my desire. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, all I have within you, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. We sang about it. And this is the point that Jesus is making. The entire Old Testament and its 613 laws are summed up with this one single command. And I guess that tells us something. It's important. And I wonder, how are you doing when it comes to loving God with every fiber of your being. You know, the amazing promise of the great commandment when we take it seriously is there's a reward at the end of it. God will grow us and he'll deepen our relationship with him. And actually, that's the promise that's captured in those words from Leviticus chapter 26. If you follow my decrees and you follow my commands, the first and the most important one of which, which is to love God, then I'll send rain and the, year, the ground will yield fruit. There's going to be fruit as a consequence of this journey. If then God says, you do your bit and I'll do mine. Do you remember Jesus said too, if you love me, then you'll follow my commands. Another if then statement. Jesus was saying there that obedience flows out of love and love comes from knowing God's love expressed tangibly in the death and the resurrection of Jesus on the cross. Invitation number one, and don't worry, they get quicker. The invitation is to do whatever it takes to love God with every fiber of your being. I wonder what that means for you today. I'm starting to work out what it means for me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and Mark bolts on with all of your strength. The second great concern in our faith that I want to highlight is sometimes referred to as the great or the greatest priority. Jesus once preached a, a famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and in that sermon he summed up everything that he'd been saying up to that point with one short sentence. The best of preachers are able to do that. You won't hear one of those from me this morning. And the summing up sentence is captured in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says, I've said all this stuff, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This statement sometimes known as the great or the greatest priority. And what Jesus was doing here is he'd been teaching about our need not to worry and be anxious about all the things that people in the world worry and are anxious about Instead, he says, live differently, prioritize the kingdom of God. And this is the essence of the Christian message. It's our greatest priority to seek first the kingdom of God. That's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. Now, of course, as I said a moment ago, if we took the great commandment really seriously, then this uh, great priority would actually look after itself. But you've probably noticed already that the great priority is also an issue of love and obedience of God. But two, this great um, priority comes with a reward at the end of it. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Then, if you do, all these things will be added. Well, what things? What's Jesus talking about there? Well, Jesus is talking about all the things that we would otherwise worry about, like food and clothing, money, possessions, if we weren't first seeking the things of God. Jesus' big challenge here is that if we prioritize those other things over and above our relationship with God, then there's going to be less room for our relationship with God. We're going to end up distracted. We're going to end up missing on the deepening of relationship and the growth that he wants to bring into our lives. 
Now, I should say, none of these things particularly are bad. Money, possessions, clothes, gadgets, social media, popular culture, none of those things are bad, but I wonder how many of us spend more time worrying about those things than we do worrying about the things of God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. It's our top priority before anything else. It's often been said that if you really want to know what matters to a person, well, you can do several things. You can listen to what you, they pray. That will reveal something about what's important to them. But it's also said that if you want to know what really matters to a person, then you can have a look at what they commit most of their time and their resources to. And I think in the big picture of life, that's probably true. We proclaim what we are and who we are by what we prioritize. So it doesn't really matter what we might say is important to us, our lives and our actions proclaim more loudly what we really believe to be important. Well, let me illustrate what I mean for just a moment. On Thursday evening, I uh, decided I was going to watch England play Hungary at football. Now, I was quite surprised as I watched on the TV to see a sprinkling of England fans amongst the, the very angry um, Hungary fans. And as I looked at the commitment of these people who traveled all the way to Hungary, I thought, wow, You've got immense resource to be able to do that and incredibly gracious employers. But two, didn't it reveal something about the level of their commitment to the England football team? Now, those of us with fewer resources, uh, less um, lenient employers uh, and probably less time, committed 90 minutes of our lives to watching England on the TV. We were doing the same thing. We were investing in the England football team. Now, I committed 45 minutes of my life to this game, and it was so dull and boring, I decided to go to bed. And then, blow me, four goals come uh, in the second half. Wasn't that irritating? Now, I'm not saying watching football is bad. I don't think it is. But actually, by our actions, I hope from that silly example, you can see it proclaims something about what's important to us. And that principle applies to every sphere of life. So if football isn't your thing, think about the thing that you invest most of your time and resources into. This principle applies equally to our relationship with God as well. I wonder, is it possible that our commitment to spiritual disciplines, even our commitment to the mission and the ministry of the local church, reveals something about the depth of our relationship with God? Discuss. For the sake of growth, Jesus gives us this one great priority, and it's all about God's kingdom and God's righteousness. It's all about pursuing the things that matter to God, and if we do that, then everything else follows. But too, I think here in these verses, we're reminded that our priorities determine our capacity. Our priorities determine our capacity. And I think for many of us, this is the practical application of why it's so difficult to put first the things of God or to put more um, higher up our list the things of God. It's because our life is so full with secondary things that we don't have time for the primary thing. When Jesus is speaking the words of the great priority here, Jesus is warning against exactly that temptation. He's saying prioritize the things that really matter because if you don't, they're going to get squeezed out by things that are less important. I wonder if these words resonate with any of us. Overstretched. Overbooked. About to snap. Crazy brizzy. You see, every morning I wake up, it feels like I wake up to a new set of deadlines and a new set of duties that demand more than I even thought I had to give. And here's my second invitation in our September reboot this morning. 
And this might take a little bit of time. I don't think it's something you do whilst you're sitting here right now this morning. But I wonder if there's a need for us to evaluate what needs to be streamlined and what needs to be simplified and what needs to be cleared out of our lives. Not that those things are necessarily bad things, but in order that we can keep the main thing the main thing. There's a reward if we do that job. It's the if-then promise that's captured in the great priority. When we seek first the kingdom of God, then he will supply for our every need. We don't need to worry about those things that we otherwise might have worried about. Hudson Taylor once came up with a brilliant one-liner. I wish I'd thought of this. The great missionary, he said, God's work done in God's way will never lack supply. Oh, isn't that brilliant? Why didn't I think of that before him? God's work done in God's way will never lack supply. And that's the promise of the great priority. And in essence, I think that's what God's challenging us with here from the second part of those verses in Leviticus 26 in verse 5. For those of us who aren't farmers, this takes a bit of getting your head around, but this is what it says. Your threshing season will overlap with the grape harvest. And your grape harvest will overlap with the season of planting grain. And you'll eat your fill and you'll live securely in your own land. There's this idea here that you'll plant one crop and it will bear fruit. And as that's bearing fruit, you'll plant the other crop. And so the circle goes round and round and round. God is the God of the overlap, is what we learn from these verses. God will never allow his supply for our needs to run dry. As one crop season comes to an end, another crop will rise up to begin its season. The greatest priority What we prioritize reveals what's most important to us. But two, what we prioritize determines the amount of capacity that we have left in life. And then finally, and this is going to be really short um, because I'm going to come back to this in future weeks. It's the third great concern of our faith, which is the Great Commission. Now, these words will be familiar to any of us who have followed Jesus for any length of time. Captured in Matthew 28, these were Jesus' last words before he left earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, Jesus says, to the very end of the age. I've got five things to say on this in bullet points. The first is this, is the Great Commission is a call to make disciples, it is not a call to go. It's a call to make disciples, it's not a call to go. Well, what do I mean by that? My second point, in a sense, the better translation of these verses is, as you go, as you go about your daily lives, would you engage in the task of making disciples, wherever that might be for you, in your workplace, in your social place, in your home, in your friends, and your family? It's a call to make disciples. It's not a call to go. As you go, make disciples. But my third thing is this, is it's a call to make disciples, not just converts. Isn't it exciting that God's greatest desire for you and for me today is that we won't stagnate, that we won't go moldy in our journey of faith, but actually we'll grow. That's what disciples do. Converts come to faith and then they wither. Disciples come to faith and their greatest desire every single day is to grow, to move more deeply in our relationship with Jesus. We're called to be disciples and to help make disciples. But the fourth thing is this. One, two, three, four. The fourth thing is this. is the Great Commission, and I find this such a relief, was not given to an individual. It was given to a group. It was given to the church. 
Why do I find that a relief? Because it means it's not my job to hold the, lead the whole of the world into a relationship with Jesus. And sometimes I feel that burden. It's the job for all of us. It was given to a group, not to an individual. And the fifth thing is this, which is related. We don't do this great commission alone. I need you and you need me. I need you and you need me, but we together need God to be part of this great commission. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. We don't do this alone. It's about you and it's about me and it's about God. And it's at this moment I want to give you the final invitation this morning. And this is the most exciting invitation of all. It's so once we've checked that we've come to a relationship with God for ourselves, we've worried about the, the great commandment and we're seeking to live in obedience to that call that we were given... Once we've worried a bit about the greatest priority to make sure we've got some spare capacity in our lives for worrying about the things that really matter to the heart of God, then we're invited to join in the task. You and me, me and you, with God, to lead some other people into relationship with Jesus. And you see, this is where I wonder whether or not those words from Isaiah are really significant for us, and we're still trying to work this out. I think these words from Isaiah are something about our mission and our ministry as we move forward. Forget the former things. There was some stuff that we did in the past of a church that was great and it was brilliant and probably we should continue to do some of those things. But maybe too, there's some forgetting that needs to be done. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way into the wilderness, the wilderness of Christchurch, the wilderness of BCP. I'm sending out some streams into the wasteland of Christchurch, of BCP, of um, your neighborhood. I'm doing a new thing and there's going to be life and there's going to be growth. And my great heart for us as a church is to wrestle with what God is saying to us in this moment about our part in that great commission. What's he going to do in your life and in my life to lead somebody else to come to know Jesus? I wonder. I'd love for us as I draw to a close to just be really still and really quiet together. And as we're still, I want to invite you to do something that's really brave, which is to have your ears wide open. Wide open to what God might say to you individually in this moment. God by his spirit oftentimes will stir something in our hearts and oftentimes that thing's been in our heart for quite some time. What will God say to you today about your walk with him, the great commandment? Maybe today's the first day to take that step to come into relationship with Jesus, maybe for the first time. What will God say to you today about the great priority? Maybe he'll reveal to you some things that are taking priority that are really secondary. Maybe today God's going to say to you, today's the day to start using those gifts that I've given to you to do something new, to do something that's already happening, that others might come to know and love Jesus as their Lord and Savior. What an invitation. Let's be really still together. Holy Spirit, speak, we pray.
We sang a song earlier that said, this is my desire. I'm just reminded of that scripture verse that where God says, I will give you the desires of your heart. And Lord, I want to pray this morning that my desires would be your desires. That the things I desire the most would be the things that you desire the most. And Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, make those desires the desires of our heart. Lord, would you give those desires to us? Would you fulfill the possibility that those desires could become a reality for us if they're in line with your will? And Lord, together as individuals, but too as a church community, Lord, we want to pray together that you would grow our desire to walk deeply in a relationship with you, with all that you've made us to be every fibre of our being. Lord, we want to pray that you'd give us the desire to ensure that your kingdom values are our values, the things that matter to you matter to us. Lord, grow that desire within us. And Lord, this great commission can seem so scary and so big but Lord I want to pray for each of us that as we go as we do the ordinary sometimes the extraordinary if that's what you call us to but as we go about the ordinary would we join with each other and with you to see men and women, boys and girls, become disciples of Jesus for the first time. Lord, grow that desire in our lives. Give us the opportunity to share and sometimes to speak your good news to our friends, to our families, to those who are on the school gates that surely we're about to encounter again in the weeks ahead. Lord, it would just be the greatest privilege ever if some people that we knew called on your name for the first time, that they would add their hosannas to our hosannas, their worship to our worship of you. (laughs) You're a good God, we thank you. Thank you that you're so gracious. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us everything that we need to successfully live this faith journey. We thank you for Jesus. Most of all, we thank you for your grace. Lord, this is our desire that we'll honour you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Chris.